Okay. Do you ever sometimes feel like you have a conversation about a topic or about an idea, but that the main uh, underlying uh, ideology or the theme or the like elephant in the room underlying the entire conversation is something that you can't really talk about or that we don't talk about? You, you know what I'm saying? I'll just give a very broad example. I'm sure this applies in a lot of different areas. So uh, I was asked, I got called by John Gowell's son-in-law, who calls me, he's serving on, on the army base in Yesodot. Everybody knew there was an army base near Yesodot? I didn't know. I drive by it all the time. Didn't know there was an army base there. And they, he calls me and says, there's this group of American students, or Anglo, whatever, students. Would you come give them a shear in English? They're here volunteering in the summertime. Would you be willing to come and give them a shear? Sure. And I'm like, why not? He, he was actually quite surprised that I said yes right away because apparently it's not so easy. Israelis don't, aren't willing so, so quickly. I said, listen, Israelis do miluim. We, we Americans, we are, I just feel guilty that they go on miluim. I don't have to do anything. So if you ask me to come, I'm welcome. So I gave this talk. What do you say to a group of you know, 19 or 20-year-olds who are volunteering, you know, schlepping boxes in yeah, three, four weeks? What? <laughs> you did that? You enjoyed it? I liked it. I liked it. Right, I asked them what they were doing. They said putting up shelves and moving boxes in the army base. But they just get busy work? And the next day they say, we need 10 strong guys, another 10 strong guys, and 10 strong guys volunteer. We need to move to there. Oh, this is what they get the volunteers to do. It's like a chaval. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I mean, right. you can think of many things that they could do. So I was, I helped. I mean, they helped. They, they didn't feel they were wasting their time. They didn't have air conditioning. So I, I, you know, it was, I, I asked them a very simple question. I said, I want to talk today about what are you doing here and what am I doing here? You know, we spoke about the notion of, of what Israel was all about and Judaism and, of course, the Holocaust came up. And to make a long story very, very short, uh, bottom line that I said was the, the white elephant in the room whenever you talk about Israel is that you cannot talk about Israel and the Jewish people without talking about God and the Torah. Because if you don't, in the end, come back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Torah, then there's no reason for us to be in Israel. But you can't really say that. Uh, you know, in the, in the public sphere, in the world at large, you never hear someone say, no, this is our land, God gave us this land, and we're going to keep it. You never, ever hear anybody say that. You know, it's almost like it's the underlying, really, it's the underlying theme in the conversation that's never really stated, that's never said. You, you understand what I'm saying? A lot of times we, we do that. We, we talk about issues, we have conversations where the most important parts are either assumed when they shouldn't be, or not said because they're not, correct or politically correct or acceptable. And I think that that's an important aspect of studying you know, on a totally different level, totally different way, the Parsha of Balak. And then this week's Parsha for us is Balak. So in Balak there's the external story and then there's the underlying theme. There's the, the I think, the common denominator that's going on behind the scenes that's, that Rashi clues us in on, the Midrash clues us in on. But it's almost supposed to be understood in a sense. And I'll, I'll explain to you what I mean. Okay, so the, the thing about Balak that's most interesting, is, can I, should I give a little synopsis? Everybody familiar with the story of Balak? Or would a synopsis be helpful? We'll give a little synopsis. There's a guy named, well, it doesn't ever hurt to give a synopsis. A guy named Balak, right, the king of Moab, sees the Jewish people amassing on his border and realizes that they just wiped out Sichon and Og, the you know, huge powerhouse, military powerhouses, and realizes there's no way we're going to beat them this way. So what does he do? He tries to hire Bilam ben Baor, which is some, it's really unclear what Bilam's profession is. Prophet, you know, prayer man, shaman of the age, it's really unclear, and to try and curse the Jewish people. And the whole story is more or less the attempt, Bilam's attempts to curse the Jewish people and his ultimate failure. Okay? And it's just a very fascinating story. I want to pick up in the middle of the story on in Perek Chav Bet, Pasuk Tchet. Um, okay? So the people, Balak sends messengers, and he says, you want to, you know, 
will you please come help me curse the Jewish people? And he says, no, I, God said no. And he sends even more important ministers and, you know, more, more important uh, people. And he says, So he, they come back and he says the following. He says, All right, do me a favor, stay over. And I'll tell you what God says. And the ministers of Moab hang out and they stay with Bilam. So Hashem comes to Bilam. It's over here. And he says, Who are these people? Bilam says, Balak said, sent, the king of Moab sent to me, so do me a favor, will you please curse them for me? Maybe then I'll be able to fight them and drive them out. What does God say? Sorry, don't do it. You cannot curse the nation, they're a blessed nation. Let's skip a little bit. So then they come back and he says, and he says, one second, he sends more ministers and he says, do me a favor, curse them. Okay, skip to Pasuk Chaf, verse 20. You want to follow? You want to come sit down? No, no, he, he finished school. He's not interested. Okay. Vayavor Elohim el Bilam Laila. Shekam comes to Bilam in the night. Again, Vayomer lo. Im likro lecha ba'u anashim. Okay, if these people have come to call you, kum lechitam. Go with them. Vaach et hadavar asher adaber elacha otov ta'aseh. But you're going to do the thing that I tell you to do. Okay, so if I were, if you were me, right, you're reading this story, should Bilam go with the people of Moab to curse the Jewish people? Let's read it again. If these men have come to call you, kum lechitan. Get up and go with them. You will do the thing that I tell you to do. He does want him to go. Anybody want to disagree? Does he want him to go? Should he go? Should he go? You should go. Go. What do you mean? He didn't first didn't want him to go. He told him not to go. If he has to, he will, but he'll do a shame. Right, the Midrash is a very good, very great comment here. The Midrash says, from here we learn, let me, let me just find it in the Midrash. The Midrash says, from here we learn, Okay, meaning basically, like, does God want him to go? No. Okay, one second. Okay. Uh, oh, here it is. One second. Here we are. Mikanatal Amid, who says the Midrash, Shabidach Shadam Motelechba, Molichinoto. Meaning, it's like parents and children. Okay, right? You know, your, your, your child says to you, Oh, please, can I go to the. Here, pick something. Pool. Pool. Right? You don't want to go to the pool, we're going to have dinner, whatever, we're busy. No. Come back five minutes later. Can I please go to the pool? Please, we never go to the pool. I'm so tired. It's hot. We're going to be back on time. So what do you say? Okay. Well, enjoy it. What? I think it's different. Yeah, yeah you eventually give it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's exactly the point. But, you, but you, of course, as a good parent, you have to make it clear that you're not happy about it. Right. If you want to go to the pool, go. Mm, then you shouldn't no? agree. What? No, if you're not... If you're, then? Then you shouldn't agree. You should not agree? You have to be consistent. <laughs> is that consistent? <laughs> they badger you. You tell them you don't want him to go. You know, you should say no. I don't. I mean, so that's what the midrash says. That if if, if you want to sin, Hashem doesn't want you to sin. But if you really want to and you're persistent and you tr- keep pushing and pushing, that's what the midrash says. Adam If you really want to go in that way, then God will lead you in that way. A very interesting question. Okay. So, but does God tell him to go or not to go? It seems that he says says to go. The only problem is, what's the next pasuk? Right? Go! Hashem said go. Pasuk Chavala. Vayakam Bil'am Baboker. Bil'am gets up in the morning. Vayachavosh et Atono. And he saddles up his donkey. Vayelechim Sarei Moab. He goes with the ministers of Moab. Uh-oh. Vayicharaf Elohim Ki Holechu. And God gets really mad that he's going. So just to use our analogy, okay, you tell your daughter, fine, go to the pool. 
she goes to the pool. You come back at the pool. You start screaming at her. I can't believe you went to the pool. I told you. Right? Well, what's she going to say to you? Let me go. What you, what's the problem? What, 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 what's the whole Balagan about? Why are you fetching to me? Okay? This is a huge problem that the Mepharshim struggle with. Right? Why, why is HaKadosh Baruch Hu so angry? How's the struggle? What? <laughs> what do you mean? No, it sounds like me. Like you can go, but you see, you went, and then you haven't done your homework, and you haven't. <laughs> yeah, but you told me to go. Right, and what, what, what's the answer to that question, though? Or you told me to go. Because you begged me. No. No, not begged. Because that's what you really wanted to do. Mm, I think the responsibility mm-hmm. still lies on the parents. Ah, one second, but you're indicting God here. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, the answer is, what your answer, the answer as a parent is, you, you kept badgering me, you wouldn't leave me alone. I, I just can't fight anymore. I, I told you how I felt, right? And so why are you so surprised? I told you how I felt. Why are you so surprised that I'm upset when you kept badgering me? I just didn't feel like arguing with you about it anymore. And that, that's really the answer. Like, why are you so upset? The question that you have to ask yourself is, is it fair to be angry at, if you give in after your kid badgers you? I mean, yeah. No. <laughs> You're the adult. Who's the adult yet? Who's, who's running the show? Okay. Fine. Uh, I, you know, does everybody agree with Yael saying, you we know what I'm saying? I wish we were, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I am not yet. That's the ideal to strive for. No, no, I think, I, I mean, very often, like, you should really do your homework. I want you to do your homework first. But, like, how, do, I, do I want you to do your homework first? Yes. Did I say you should do your homework first? Yes. <laughs> I, am I willing to put up with the constant nagging in order to get you to do your homework first? I, 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 don't, I don't think that... You think yes. You should say yes. I don't want to hear nagging. Like, say, come do your homework. If I can go, all my friends are there now, I'll come home and I'll do my homework between 6 and 7. Which, of course... No, okay. Right? So, so, so that then, was then the you give them a responsibility in agreement to letting them go. That's fine. If they choose to negate on that responsibility, that's a separate issue. But I let you go because you badgered yeah, me is no excuse. That's okay, okay. let's go back. Say, so the difference uh, between okay. the and the difference of their parents and a child, okay. Willem's an adult, and he has to make the right choice for them. Mostly are, I mean... It's interesting, by the way, we are talking about different children. Her children are much older than our children, you know what I'm saying? But uh, but Philem is not a child. No. I mean, you know, he's he's an adult, and there are plenty of people in the Torah who who, who sin, and so in which case... Good, and why is Hashem so mad then? I asked first. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it was a rhetorical leading question? What do you mean? Oh, if you want to find... I mean, the way you have to read it is God said... God, but you, know, you have to read the pasuk saying. One second. If they call you, fine, go, whatever. I mean, Maybe don't get me wrong. I don't. It's hard to read that in the tone. Okay. So the mafarshim, many mafarshim, struggle with this, and they, they give answers which I will tell you don't don't make me hundred percent happy. They say, listen, they, if they call, if they want, if it's you they want, if they're looking for your leadership, then you can go. But understand that you're not going to curse, that I'm not going to let you curse the Jewish people. The Ramban says, the Bilaam forgot to mention that on his way out. Right? He says, understand you are not going to curse the Jewish people. And Bilaam like, you know, all right, let's go, everybody. And he led them on to believe that he was going to curse the people. Well, he still believed that he would. Could. He still believed that he could. What's he going for? Why did God tell him to go? It's a really good question. If the answer is no, and the answer is going to be no, why did Hashem tell him, okay, whatever. Social pressure. What? God had social pressure? No, God. Everyone else was... Uh, Why could God say no? And he would say, God said no, I'm sorry, I can't go. I won't go. What did he... Bilam would, well, would not have said no if Hashem said no. That's what he did. He said that. He never did say no. Now, by the way... Well, not even that he... responsibility to figure out what's... If you, if you know what's right and what's wrong, do you need to actually well-defined, there's still a maturing process. Ah, right. But then we're not so different from parents. Then this whole conversation is very similar. In that, 
Shem says, I, like I said, I don't want you to do it. I think it's wrong. But I'm not going to force you to make the right choice. I'm just going to be really mad and send an angel with a sword when you make the wrong choice. Right? Yeah, I, think, I, I think what happened is, Hashem said, if you're under pressure, you can go, but know that you're not going to be able to curse the Jewish people. But I think Bidam still thought that he could, he, he would be able to. Well, in the end, was Bilaam able to curse the Jewish people? No, he wasn't, but I think he was still under the impression that... In the, the end, in the end, was Bilaam able to but, curse but, the Jewish people? But, but in reality, Bilaam really wasn't an Oved Hashem. Was he an Oved Hashem? Was he an Oved Hashem? No, he's just a Navi Hashem. Don't get me wrong, but... He wasn't you don't really get Navu... I mean, this guy just, like, you know, picked Bilaam out of a hat and said, That guy... There had to be something about him. And also once, yeah, and don't also, you think? And also, once he had that connection, how can he not believe All right, I'm going to say something that's very going to be pseudo-controversial, I guess. I always had sort of sympathy for Bilaam. I felt bad for him, in a sense. Why? You know what it must be like to be the prophet of God in a, in a polytheistic, unbelieving world? Like, it's like... What? Well, God came to him. God came to him in the middle of the night. That's prophecy, isn't it? God doesn't come to us in the middle of the night. Tells him what to do. There's an, I mean, the Mepharshim struggle with this. Why in the world does Bilam have Nebuah? Mepharshim talk about it. Anybody know what Rashi says? Isn't it... Right, that's exactly what Rashi says. I just have to find it. Rashi says exactly that. That the nations of the world shouldn't be able to say, well, if you had sent us a prophet, then we would have listened to you. So he sent him a prophet, and what did we do? We didn't listen to him. I, I, I don't remember the Rashi, I don't want to go searching for it right now. But the, that's exactly what Rashi says. Okay? Now, it's, we're, we're, we're still struggling with this. Why in the world does, does Hashem send him if Hashem doesn't want him to go? Now, in the end, I was going to say, does Bilam succeed in his, in his mission of cursing the Jewish people? Then they look at the broader mission. What's the purpose of, of cursing the Jewish people? To yes. So does he succeed? No. He comes real close. Comes real close. Remember, the underlying conversation is are the things that are not said. Bilam sort of alludes to it. He hints at it, and he, and this I think is the is the, the so what? In, in the book? No, after them. Okay. What happens at the end of Parshat Balak, at the end of Bilam's Parsha? The very end. We'll just get to the very, very end. Right, right before. We'll skip and then we'll come back to what Bilam is trying to say. Mm-hmm. Chapter 25. Chapter 25. It's about far. Vayesha Bisuel Yeah. Okay. The Jewish people were in Shittim. We're not going to go into this. This is a whole shir in of itself and a very interesting one. Vayachel ha'am not el benot Moab. They got involved somehow with the, with the, the Moabite Medalas, as you were, chapter 25. Pasuk there. Vatikrena la'am lezivchei Elohim. Vayochel ha'am v'yishtachavula Elohim. They ate. They were called. It's a very fascinating sukim. It's worthwhile to study. Vayitzam yitzvel le'ba'al po'or. Vayichar af Hashem l'Yisrael. Right? The nation bowed down, worshipped Baalpur, and God get mad. God tells Moshe, you know, you got to stop this by hanging people. Right? You have to kill the people who are bowed down to Baalpur. Behold, Pasuk Zion. Let's, let's just get a sense of what's going on here. Right? Things have gotten to the point where someone has brought a midnight woman and paraded her in front of the elders of the camp who are now crying in front of the Ohel Moed. This, this description of the scene is pandemonium, out of control, bad, and getting worse. Right? Moshe, get control. What does Moshe do? He's somehow unable to get control of the camp. So what happens? 
One second. Let's Vayar Pinchas ben Lazar ben Aruna Kohen. Pinchas gets up. Vayakar mitocha ida vayikach romach biado. He takes the spear, etc., etc. It's interesting. Vayavo achar Yisrael kuba vayikosh nehem et aish et Yisrael bet aishal kabata. So he spears them through the stomach. Vate atzar hamagefa meal ben Yisrael. What happens? Vate atzar hamagefa. The plague. What plague? What plague? Of them going to all the oh, apparently there was a plague. How many died in the plague? Yes. The last pasuk of Parashat Balak, Arba'a ve'esrim Aleph. Right? 24,000 people died in this plague. How did the people of Moab have this great idea to send their women and seduce the unsuspecting Jewish men? Anybody know? It's a good idea, right? Very good idea. How did they get this idea? No one knows? The Midrash, yes, Rina. How do you know? Okay, that's exactly right. One second. Bill, I'm left. See if I can find it. The Midrash doesn't even say it. It's, the Gemara says but it's actually, if I recall correctly, it's in, it's in uh, I think it's in the Torah also. Ma'ayat's like, it's in the Navi, quite clearly, that what, what, did, what happened and what did Bilam advise in them to, you know, one second. What, what, did, what did Bilam advise the Jewish people to do, them to do in order to, in order to, to, to slip them up? That Bilam, in the end, he knew clearly that what they wanted, you know, it's almost like when you're hired like, as a consultant, it's like, oh, we want you to do X, Y, Z. And like, you know that if you tell them, oh, that's the wrong way of doing it, right, they're going to say, okay, well, then you're not man for the job. So what you have to do is sort of try what they say. And then when it doesn't work, they'll tell you, okay, well, what do we do? And then you tell them, well, what I would do if I were you is X, Y, Z. Oh, okay. You know, like... You know, it's always like that in, in, in the business world. You know, you can't just come out and say, well, we th- I think you should do this. They sort of have to know you and have this relationship with you and then, you know, try something else. So was Bilam successful in the end in his mission to, to destroy the Jewish people? Came real close. Real close. But there's no... Uh, explicit mention of it. Not even explicit, implicit. Like meaning, we could find it... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bilam actually is killed in Moab. And the Moshe alludes to, you know, if you wouldn't find mind finding in, in where Bilam dies, where he's killed in Devarim, right? It's in Bamidbar that they kill him? In Matos? They find him in Moab. He's still there. And Rashi there says quite clearly, like, he was, he's the mastermind. Bilam, it's Bilam's idea. Can you read it? Yeah, it says explicitly, right? Hein hey you l'vnei Yisrael b'midbar bilam limsor ma b'shem al dvar poor, right? Right. That's like a different. It's a different sin, isn't it? Right. Okay. Here, let me read you the Rashi there. Amar lehem. What did Bilam say? Afilu atam achnisim kol hamonot sheba olam ein atam yicholim lehem. You fight them. You doesn't matter. I don't matter how many people you have. You'll never beat them. What, you think you're more powerful than the most powerful military in the world? Let me give you a piece of advice. Okay? Their God hates sexual depravity. Blah, 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 blah. I'll tell you what to do. Then the Gemara talks about it. This is a well-known, uh, accepted theme, that Bilam is the mastermind of the end of the parasha. Okay, you didn't know that? Well, interesting, right? Yeah, so, so they call Bilam to come curse the Jewish people. And he's coming, he wants to destroy the Jewish people. But you know, I think that the answer is, God's, God gets really angry at him because he's going. It's not that he says, well, God, you told me I could go. That's true, I told you you could go. And I, I told you to tell them that you couldn't curse the Jewish people. But you, have, you already know what you're going to do. And you know that when I don't let you curse them in one way, 
you're going to try to curse him in another way. And this brings us to one of my, this is my favorite, probably my favorite story in the Chumash, which is, if you read it carefully, you'll see it's a just crazy story that it makes no sense whatsoever. Back to Chafbet, chapter 22, Pasuk Chaf Aleph. It's just a crazy story. <coughs> you very rarely find comedy in the Torah. Okay? You're about to read a sketch from the Three Stooges. Kid you not. All right. Nobody here is a Three Stooges fan. I'm not really a stamp fan either, but uh, physical comedy. Malarica. What? Malarica. No, they don't know. It's not popular out in you know. We know the name. Okay, fine. Bayakam Bilam gets up in the morning. Bayachavosh et Atono. He saddles up his donkey. Vayelech in This is some donkey. Anybody know how old this donkey is? Right, the Mishnah and Avot says this donkey was born during the, you know, the sixth day of creation. This is a special donkey. Elohim who got really mad. So he places an angel on the path lisatanlo as a satan to him, as a danger, as a threat. Right. So you have this angel and you have Bilam. What's he doing? He's riding on his donkey. And his two Now, this donkey sees the angel of God with this sword outstretched, ready to strike. What would you do if you're the donkey? Turn around. Turn around. So they're all riding on the road, right? All of a sudden, the donkey, for some unknown reason, turns off and starts walking in the field. Very good. Now, Bilam, of course, what does he see? Nothing, right? So he's like, like kicking the donkey, saying, Donkey! You know, it makes you, it makes you think of Shrek now, you know, like, you know, with this, <laughs> with this donkey. Okay, Bilam went to try to get him back on the road. So what does the angel do? So this poor donkey, he ends up in this vineyard, and there's a... Did I skip? No. Okay, there's a wall on each side. So this poor donkey sees this angel of God. And the angel is like moving. The angel is pushing him. So he pushes him into the wall. Okay, and by the way, if you ride a donkey and the donkey smashes into the wall, ah, it's like, you know, donkeys are heavy. Smash it by Tilachet at Regio Bilam Malakir. Right? The, the, the leg of Bilam slams into the wall. By Yosef Lahakotas. You just pictures in your head, ah, donkey, bah, 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 stop, what are you doing? Okay? By Yosef Malach Hashem Avor. This poor, this, this angel keeps. Pushing, forces him into this like very narrow place. There's nowhere to go, right or the left. So what does the what does the poor donkey do? He just goes down. Bilam gets angry. He starts. He takes a stick and he starts. Whack in this poor donkey. Okay? So God opens up the mouth of the donkey, and this is where, you know, you can hear Eddie Murphy talking. Says to Now remember, very interesting perspectives. If you're the donkey, you see the angel. So when Bilam is hitting you, what do you, like, what do you think? What is this guy, nuts? He wants me to go right into the, you know what I'm saying? Is he crazy? It makes no sense at all. Now, if you're Bilam, you don't see the angel. So all you see is stubborn donkey slamming you into the wall and, and, and landing on your feet. A very interesting difference of perspective, right? So he opens up his mouth. What have I done to you that you have hit me these three times? Bilam says to the donkey, be. You have mocked me. Yeah, that's my translation. Anybody here ever in English? Abused. Abused? You have abused me. Okay. 
Modern Hebrew. Modern Hebrew. Did tell us to abuse? I don't know. Yeah? I have a sword in my hand. I'm going to kill you. Now, my favorite part of that little pasuk is <laughs> Bilam's donkey starts talking to him. Well, if, if my donkey opened up its mouth and started talking to me, the first thing I would say is, You could talk? <laughs> yeah. No, see, he's used to hearing voices. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, God from donkeys? God speaks to him. Maybe donkeys. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's already in another realm. Okay. Fine. Right. I just, I just always am struck by the fact that Bill doesn't miss a beat. <laughs> what have I done to you? <laughs> Yeah, I, and it's interesting. What does Bilam say? I'm going to kill you. Now, where is Bilam right now? Uh, smack against. Good. Smack against the wall in the corner, but even more importantly. With an angel wielding He doesn't see the angel yet. He's sitting on the donkey. What's the purpose of killing the donkey? What would the benefit of killing the donkey be? Punishing the donkey. What? Could, why would you kill the donkey you're sitting on? Right. Right. They say he's so angry. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, you get off the donkey. Fine. But dude, why would you kill him? Okay. But aton el bilam. Says the aton. Hello. Anochi aton cha asher b'chavta alay miadcha arayom hazeh. Am I not your beloved donkey? Who have you have ridden on since you were a little child until this day? Ha-haskein hiskanti la-sodlachaka. Would I do this to you? Where's the trust? Where's the love? And what does Bilam say? Ayomer? Lo, easy right. You're my donkey. You know? Right, it's a great story. Vayigal Hashem et enei Bilam. And God opens up the eyes of Bilam. Vayar et malach Hashem nitzab baderech b'charbo shlufa b'yado. Vayikod b'yishta. And now he sees. And of course, what does the angel say? Why did you hit your donkey? I was threatening you, and you know, I was standing in front of you. He saw me. And he went away from me these three times. I should kill you and leave him alone. I don't know. Do you think that angel knew that Bilam couldn't see him? I don't know, but whenever I'm walking in Jerusalem and I see those Arabs beating the donkeys, I yeah. always wonder where the Malach Hashem, have you never seen them? Oh, they always beat the donkeys. They, they, they whap them. them. They whap them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where that was, the, by the way, I must say, that's accepted practice for donkeys. Right, right, right. More, right. You know, whacking and the donkey. I always say, where is that Malach Hashem? Ah. <laughs> I have a very interesting question. This is very fun to talk about and interesting and a pretty crazy story. But... What in the world is this doing in the middle of my bar midbar? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. it's a great, it's clever, and you know maybe God wanted some comedic you know relief and in the middle. What well, I find funny is not that is that both the donkey and the angel think that it's abnormal for a donkey to do this, and abnormal therefore for. Like, I feel like Bilam's response is totally normal. Donkeys are stubborn animals, and sometimes they won't move, and sometimes they decide. Maybe, maybe they're, like you said, maybe they're seeing things so you don't see. Oh, you know, I mean, uh, just, just to address your point before we come back to my bigger question, why, why was the donkey able to see and we were and Bilam was not? So look at Rashi on Pasuk Chavkimo. A very striking, frightening Rashi. Chavkimo. Okay. Rashi on 23. Says Rashi, but Bilam could not see why. Animals see more things than human beings see. Why? Because we have dat, intellect. Were we able to see the? How do you want to translate mazikim? 
Mazikim now now. What? Yeah. So what are Mazikim? Not people. The dangers that are around us. We ah right demons. Okay, if we could see the harmful spiritual forces, demons, angels, whatever you want to call them, around us, if we could see all of them, we would go crazy. So therefore, what God does is He doesn't let us see them. Only the animals can see them. Which I think is a good reason to own a dog. I, don't, I mean, you know. I think. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? When I go to sleep and I have like a half a cup of water. And like we don't drink it because the shade them come and just go in or <laughs> at night. What? If you leave it at, at night. night. So yeah, I'm yeah. saying when I go to sleep and I leave next to my bed a half mm. a cup of water and then I wake up and I spill it out. And I'm mm. huh? They were here somewhere last <laughs> night. <laughs> <laughs> so like, Wait, what do you do with spooky. that? It's it like, is spooky. Right, it is. It's like I don't want to know who came to visit. And <laughs> you, you don't. Yeah. No. I personally think there's a, like a tremendous amount of truth to this. Like there's that our vision, our our intellect is limited to a certain spectrum. No, just as it's limited, I would say. that The analogy I like to give is, people have struggled with this. I don't know if people here are struggling with this. That we, we know, let's say for example in science, there's a huge spectrum of light in the electromagnetic field. Anybody here have any scientific background? Study simple physics, right? Okay, which goes all the way from, like, I don't know, sat, like very large waves to very, what? To, to gamma rays, very small rays. Those are small or big? I don't remember. Small. Very good. And in this huge spectrum of electromagnetic radiation, there's a very small field within which we can see. Okay, that's visual light. Now, would anyone suggest that the visual light that we can't see isn't there? No, of course we don't, because we know that when I press my remote control, it controls the stereo by infrared, which is a light. It's, 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 it's shining a light. We know that it's there. We just can't see it. Okay, now, do we think the fact that we can't see it makes it any less real? No, because we have other ways of knowing it's real. So if that's true, and we know it's scientifically true in the physical world, why would we be so arrogant to think that it's not true in the spiritual world? Meaning, God programs us in a certain way and says, there are things in the world that you can see, and then there are things in the world that you can't see. You're not meant to see them. There are parallel planes of existence. The fact that you can't see them is by no means any indication that they're not there. And Bilam's Aton happened to see it. But I digress. That's my uh, pseudo-explanation of Bilam's Aton. So what in the world is the story doing here? In the whole Bilam story. I mean, like, it's interesting, but if you were, like, editing the Torah and your writer submitted this to you, you know, probably you would say, I mean, you know, isn't this a book about the Jewish people? Right? The whole story of Bilam is really, there's nothing about the Jewish people in, until the very end, to the last time it's okay. It still shows a little bit more of his interaction with Hashem and Malachi. Like that, that's what I think, that's what I see here. He's speaking about his Nebuah, and then he meets with the Malach Hashem. Once again, he's showing his connection with, with Hashem's world. Okay, and therefore? See, to me, everything about this story has to come back to us. Like, why do I need... Okay, if the Torah is going to tell me that he's an angel, he's a prophet, or that's very good. But why do I need to know all the details about his crazy escapade with his donkey? You know, it isn't, you know, when you think about it, it's almost a little strange in a sense. You know, this is the kind of story you would find, expect to find with Haman and Megillat Esther. Or Midrash. Right. It also goes back to the beginning question, like, if this story is showing us Malach Hashem trying to stop him from going on the path, then... He's allowed to go on the path. I mean, right. He chose to. He was supposed to... Um, Why send the angel if you're going to let him go in the end anyway? That's yeah. a good question. I didn't think about that question. Okay, and so let me... I think this story is a very illustrative story about seeing the... the what you, let me put it this way. See, I don't want to articulate it. About being able to see what's in front of you and, and what's underlying at the same time. And the Midrash says, a very interesting, Hashem was trying to, de, to, to send him a lesson. Okay? What's the lesson? Um, one second. The lesson is, God says to him, why did God send him? He said, he says to him, like, you want to go and curse the Jewish people, okay? And you can't even see the, like, more than your own donkey. What's another word for donkey? Right. 
You know what I'm saying? You can't even see... I won't say it, but you can't... You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to be this visionary for the people. You're going to come curse the Jewish people, and you can't even control or see the things that are going on right in front of you. And I think that this whole story is a kind of allegory for the entire story of Bila. What's, what's the, the text, and what's the subtext? What do you see up front, and what's going on behind the scenes? Right? So Bilam sees the donkey going along the way, and he's reacting in a certain way without having the real information. And I think that that's entirely what the, the story of Bilam is really all about. And Bilam, he says this in a number of different times. Uh, give me an exa- I'll give you a couple of examples. And he alludes to it in a certain way. That there's the Jewish people that are winning the wars, and that's the physical smiting of the donkey, as it were, but then there's the unseen, the forces behind the scenes that are really motivating what's going on. And that, I think, is really the, the, the most important lesson of, of um, Parshat Balak. Now, what is, according to Bilam, the Jewish people's fundamental strength? No, it is not connection with God. Right? Anybody know? What? Nope. Not connection with God, not communal unity. Mm. What's that? Nope. Okay. What's the most famous pasuk in this week's parsha? Very good. Let's turn to that pasuk. Matovu ohalecha Yaakov mishkenotecha Yisrael. Okay. One second. Pasuk Chaf Dalid. Chaf Dalid. What do you mean? Perik Chaf Dalid. Perik Chaf Dalid. Perik Chaf Dalid. Okay. Pasuk Bet. Let's go back to Pasuk Didn't work. He was trying to like curse them. Didn't work. He faced the desert. It's interesting, by the way, you'll notice this progression. Like he didn't want to look at them. He was trying to avoid looking at the Jewish people. Like maybe you can see them partially. You can't see them totally. You can spy them from here. You know what I'm saying? He lifts up his eyes. He sees the Jewish people dwelling according to their tribes. And he's infused with the Spirit of God. He raises up his hands. Neum just means these are all the intros, right? These are the words of what does he say? Matovu Ohalacha Yaakov. Mishkinotecha Yisrael. You're amazing. What did he see? What did he see and what's he praising us for? Rashi. Matovu Ohalacha Yaakov. Al Shira'a Pitchehem She'enam Mechavnim Zemuzeh. You all know this Midrash. Right? What did he see? He saw that their, their tent openings were not facing one another. Now, this is obviously. The Midrash says, what does it mean that he looked up and he said, Bayar et Yisrael shochein lishvatav. Okay? Ma ra'ah, says the Midrash. Ra'ah ein pitre alim mechuvanim zegel zelezeh. Amar, he said, ru'uyim halalu shetishre alehem shechina. What brings the shechina amongst the Jewish people? Tzniyut. But even more than tzniyut, a sense of, sense of sexual propriety. The Midrash says the following in another way. What does he mean, Matovu Olecha Yaakov? Okay? Why did he praise their Ohalim? Says the Midrash. Sha'ad Shehem B'Mitzrayim Abdu Avodazara. Right? When they were in Egypt, they worshipped Avodazara. Ve'av al piken lo hayu prutsim ba'arayot. Nonetheless, even in Egypt, they were not prutsim ba'arayot. They were not immersed in arayot. Ubesha'ash Yadu Mitzrayim, when they went to Egypt, hayu tsunuim. Kol echad ve'echad betoch ahalo. Each one dwelt in his tent. Shnei as it says, ish u'beito ba'u. They came as families. 
lo reuven haya mabit b'ishto shel Shimon, v'lo Shimon b'ishto shel reuven. Right? They didn't look at each other's wives. El akol echad b'ahalo tzanua. V'afilu k'shayu shishim ribo b'midbar k'chayu tzanuim. Right? Bilam felt very, very strongly that the strength of the Jewish people comes not from their might, and remember, we see, we see this later on, but it comes from their adherence to sexual propriety, to a sense of communal tziniut. That that is what determines their sense of strength. And he says it later on, he says, what, you think you're going to beat them? You think you're stronger than Egypt? You think you're more powerful than Egypt? You're going to curse them? You can't curse them. God is with them. The only way to beat them is by getting God to abandon them. And you can't even do that with Avodah Zarah. The only way to do it is to make them defeat themselves. So you see, he keeps referring to this, and I think that this is a sort of underlying theme in the parasha. What do we see explicitly? And what's going on behind the scenes? What's the underlying strength? What's the underlying reason that things are the way that they are? That things are positive, that the Jewish people's strength resides where it is? And, uh, and I think that this, uh, this, this is the way Bilam saw it, and I think that's a lot of truth to it even today. That, that when you have a society that adheres to a certain sense of, of what I would call sexual tzini'ud, family tzini'ud, right? family appropriateness, there's a certain strength in that society that I think is, is, is important, and in the Jewish people it's even doubly more important. It, 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 it is the way that the Rewarder Shalom wants us to live. But when you abandon that, I mean, you have, A, big societal problems. But when the Jewish people abandon that, you have even larger problems because that is the fundamental strength of, you know, where our strength lies. And I think that that's something that, like, again, I started by asking, you know, what's the underlying, like, sometimes, like, the things that are explicit in the conversation, like, what's the most, you know, things that we talk about and the things that we don't talk about. Like, who can necessarily correlate you know, the strength of the IDF to the propriety of the community in Yad Binyamin, or Tel Aviv, or Yerushalayim, or wherever. It's hard. You can't. You can't explicitly say it. And that's exactly the point. Bilam never saw the angel with the sword facing him. He couldn't see it. All he could see was the donkey. And he says, Wow, you think I'm, I'm going to slam you? I have a sword. I could kill you. And the donkey says, What are you doing? Am I not your donkey you've ridden your whole life? What's the deeper, what's the more underlying theme behind here? What's the story going, what's really going on? And uh, so that's why it's very interesting. Like, you know, you get into these really interesting questions of like freedom of expression and, you know, in democratic countries and, and to what degree do you want to fight about certain things? You know, and I take a very general sort of live and let live kind of, kind of line but when it came to like you know the gay pride um, uh, parade in Yerushalayim, or even like the, not just Yerushalayim, I think that this notion of sexual propriety has great, great meaning in in the Torah and for the Jewish people. And you see it a lot. You even see it like in 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 Vayikra, right? That that right after the the parts about the Arayot in Achremot in Kedoshim. We find this section where it says, right, that our ability and our right to stay in the land is inherently connected not to our Shemir Shabbos, not to our Kashrut, but to our Tzinu. Yeah, and it, that, um, about that reality Kedisha from BBC, mm-hmm. they, it's like a, sort of like a nanny type of show. They've taken these teenagers and they put them in different countries. These sort of way gone teenagers yeah. problem. So they took this uh, girl who's like a teenager that's, you know, that's just inappropriate, whatever, they put her in with this family in Nofi alone for one week. Really? Um, so the first day she came This is an Israeli society, is an Israeli... Uh... It's a BBC show. Really? Okay. Yeah. So they put her with this family and she came down the first day for breakfast wearing like a little tank top and TV shorts or something. So they told her you have to go upstairs and change into something more appropriate. She knew the rules of the house. She didn't care. So she said no. So they kicked her out of the house, uh, like the first day. So the producer says it's the first day they had to put her up in a hotel nearby. She had to still live with the family, but they wouldn't let her stay in the house. <laughs> so um, And she went out into the community dressed in a bikini, and then people were like uh, shouting. And no fire alone? Yeah. Okay. So um, 
So she said... She Wait, I don't understand. You're not allowed to have a television in Nofay alone. You're allowed to have a TV show in Nofay alone? Right? <laughs> that not make any sense. So, um, and the guy was gay, and he was parading his sexuality around. So, um, so they interviewed the girl, what she think about the family and this and that. So she says she thinks all these modesty rules are... I thought it was... I couldn't decide if it was a Chil Hashem or a Kiddush Hashem, but I thought that even though she didn't understand the point, it was a Kiddush Hashem that they were showing how the Orthodox family lives, meaning... She was saying, oh, it's so prudish, and I, I don't get it. Why can't we just have, like you said, freedom of expression and all these things? And they, they, the family was trying to teach her how it, infu- like, they interviewed, obviously, the family also, how it infuses... Um, why, did this, why did this family agree to this? I, I, you know? You think it's wrong? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. But why, I, is this I, a Jewish I, I, girl? What? Is this a Jewish girl? I don't, it didn't really say that she was Jewish. Wow. Well, if the BBC you know, called you and said, we'd like to put a... Uh, uh, if she's not keeping the rules, I don't want that. Would you agree to even... No, oh, it, you know she wasn't, because they said she doesn't have to keep all the rules, like Kashrut or whatever. Like they, no, they, but that's new thing. Says the Torah, Stop here, we'll finish up. You should come keep my statues. This is in Achimot. Right? Even the stranger and the person living in your midst should not do these abominations. Thank you for that. A little uh, <laughs> The people before you did those things. And that the land shall not vomit you out as it vomited out the nation before you, etc., etc. At this notion, it's, it's an incredibly important theme that, that runs throughout, underlying, again, Tzini'ut. The Torah is extremely tsenua about it. Right? They don't come out and say, oh, this is the problem, and this is the benefit, and this is what was so special about the Jewish people. Matovu Ahalecha Yaakov is not a children's song. Right? It's Ahalecha Mishkanotecha Yisrael Lishvatecha. This is a, the hallmark of the Jewish people. And our strength comes from that sense of tzini'ut. And that's why I think it's our responsibility to, even when we don't see it, and when we don't appreciate it, to understand that that's the, the, the wellspring of our strength. And we should never for a second doubt it. All right, we'll stop here.